pledge allegiance to the band. It may perhaps discourage you, unless of your kidney, or infected with this vicious virus, that you'll be ordered to pay a fine of 75 pounds. I'll pay now, if you don't Just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder. These guys would have it. Welcome to Movies That Rock, a rock and roll journey through cinema. I'm your host, Josh Fitzgerald, and um, welcoming back to the dual co-host here, I have um, a Rush reunion with Michael Bagford and John Lamoureux. How are you guys today? Doing good, hey, Josh. Good. Welcome back. It's really good to have you guys. I haven't done a show with multiple co-hosts in a while, so this is exciting. Good. Maybe since the last time you guys were on. <laughs> I'm glad we're doing this movie in particular, too. Yes, this will be like kind of a roundtable roast, perhaps. Uh-huh. <laughs> so this is this is actually perfect timing because um, I just released an episode about Saturday Night Fever, um, which which is I'm actually like literally just finished editing before we logged in, so um, it's fresh on the mind. So we're going to be talking about 1983's sequel, Stay Stay Ing, not Stayin', Stay Ing Alive. Um, directed by the one and only Sylvester Stallone and uh, starring, of course, John Travolta, being one of the only people from the original cast who's in this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, no. yeah, this is quite a reputation. Um, I guess before we start, because I, I have some things I can say at the beginning, but um, I guess just to start, have you, I'm, I'm assuming you guys have both seen Saturday Night Fever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen big parts of it. I don't know mm-hmm. if I've seen it all the way through. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, it's if you've seen Saturday Night Fever, you'll know that this is kind of just loosely connected. Yeah, (laughs) that's the thing. I have a lot of questions about that. Like it's been six years other than I feel like, well, I don't want to get I I don't know how deep to get into it, but I feel like John Travolta really nailed a character in the first one. He Mm -hmm. seemed to embody (laughs) He had like soul to it. And this yeah. felt like him doing a caricature of that <laughs> early or character. Right. And it didn't feel as honest or lived in. Right. And I don't know whether that's a Travolta decision or a Stallone direction thing. I don't know. But it doesn't. You t- you, his mom makes a, you know, a cameo. You strip out his mom, change his name to something other than Tony Monero, yeah. and it really is just any other movie. A hundred percent. I think he, he's got to be one of the only people in history to get a get an Academy Award nomination and a Razzie Award nomination for playing the same character one right after another. I'm sure of that. I'm sure of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder kind of like what, with what you were saying, how much of that is the writing? Because the writing is really... Weak. I'll That's, just be nice and say it's weak. It, it it is weak. I have a lot of takes on that that I want to ask <laughs> you about. But I mean, in all honesty, is this? See, I don't. I I don't know whether to appreciate it on its own or to connect it to Saturday Night Fever because I have to yeah. think: is this where we thought Tony Manero would be six years later, living in a you know fly trap of a motel, still <laughs> scrambling? for jobs i i just uh i'm not saying that he would have been a star but it just it felt like 
six years of living like this felt like a really long time for that character. Yeah, it, it's like a weird. It's almost like he's he in that in that six years he came so far for six years, but at the same time he didn't really get anywhere. Oh, at the same time, it's no. very bizarre. It is. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess real quick before we start, because um, I always like to, to to bring up the the music first, just because that's just kind of how I roll. Do you guys have any history either with the Bee Gees or with this particular soundtrack at all? Like outside of you know, have, did you listen to? them or listen to any of the music from this film on its own outside of the context of this movie uh, i mean i was i was familiar with a lot of early bgs uh due to josh uh fitzgerald on rock solid so <laughs> i have to started, check that one out yeah <laughs> the, the guy that guy on it's pretty good he knows uh -huh. stuff yeah pat's awesome yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but i mean i i like the really early BG stuff. Uh, I do like some of the, I do like some of their hits uh, from the seventies. Like I do like a lot of that Saturday night fever soundtrack that they were on. That's what kind of held the film together for me. I enjoyed mm -hmm. the soundtrack more than I think <laughs> I did the film overall. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Now, now John, you, didn't you have somebody, so John is the host of the hustle pod that you should all listen to. Didn't you have somebody on featured on your show who was involved in the soundtrack? Uh, I've had a couple of people. I had Joe Bean Esposito, who mm -hmm. wrote a couple of the songs on the soundtrack, and I believe he sings one. Um, I, uh, I'm trying to remember, there was one or two other people. I, as far as the soundtrack goes, first of all, and I don't, I hope this doesn't offend you, Josh. The the Beachy <laughs> songs on this soundtrack to me feel like leftovers. Yes. They're, I agree 100%. Okay, they're yeah. fine, but they there's nothing special to me or noteworthy about yep. the BG songs on this soundtrack. Yep. That being said, Frank Stallone nails it with Far From Over. That is mm -hmm. one of the great 80s movie epic songs. Yeah. And one of the th the thing that I come back to, you know, in a way Sly deserves credit and ridicule for this. He nailed a moment in the 80s so perfectly with his direction, whether it's this or Rocky IV, which to me have a lot of similarities because oh, yeah. almost half the movie is basically movie is music montages. Yeah. But Sly knows better than most how to pair the right song with the right visuals mm -hmm. for the right impact at that point in the mid 80s history. He it's was so good at that. Now, is that is that artistic? Is it does it have lasting value? Does it make his movies good? Not so, not really. But he <laughs> nailed a moment there for a while, better than most uh, directors did, and I feel like he deserves credit for that. That's a really good point. And that's a different skill from like making a music video, quote unquote, because you have right. to, if you're, if you're doing like a music montage, you have to kind of follow the emotional beats of the story mm -hmm. and the arc of the, of what's happening. Yes. And um, I, you're absolutely right. I never really thought about that, but it's true. It's he really he had a knack. Mm -hmm. He had his finger on the pulse there for a little while. And I don't think he gets enough credit for that yeah. because the music that he thought was worthy of putting in these movies for the most part was fantastic whether it's Eye of the Tiger or Robert Tepper's No Easy Way Out or Frank Stallone's <laughs> or whatever. These yeah. songs are great. And he he had the ear for that and the eye to really sell them on the screen. But um, 
you know, I, he wasn't making high art in the process, right. but he was making really good eighties <laughs> product. You Absolutely. Know? Yeah. yeah. That's it, interesting about the montages because having seen Saturday Night Fever so recently, one thing that stuck out to me is that in Saturday Night Fever, there is not one single music montage in the whole film. Whereas in this movie, it's like maybe 70% music montages. Right. <laughs> so it more than makes up for that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But, I, and I agree with you with the, the sound, particularly the BG songs do feel kind of just thrown together. Yeah. And, 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 you know, a big part of, you know, the promotion for this film, especially at the beginning with all those really ridiculous freeze frames, one of them, there's this one solely dedicated just to like, soundtrack performed by the Bee Gees and huge letters. The only reason they got them was so that they could say, because for another Saturday Night Fever. Exactly. Like, oh, we'll sell records if we get the Bee Gees on, even if the yeah. songs are, are poor. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. And I know, I, I know, M. Banks, you listened to this album today. Uh, yes, I did. <laughs> and and he, I, thought, I thought Side 2 was way better than Side 1. Side 1 yeah. is pretty much all the Bee Gees stuff. Mm -hmm. I did like a couple of the BG songs. I did like The Woman in You, which I think was the big single from that. Yeah. And I Love You Too Much was good. But I kind of read too that the BGs weren't very enthusiastic about these songs to begin with. Mm -hmm. They were just kind of trying to get them done. And it kind of sounds that way. Like I started getting really bored during side one. <laughs> and then side two, far from over, just like pumps up the energy so much again. And it's, yeah, it was really good. Um, I did like the two uh, Thomas Farragher songs on there. Uh, Look yes. One. Look out for number one. That's another one of the great Stallone approved songs from this yeah. era for sure. Yep. We, we did so close to the fire is a little over the top for me, mm. but it works for the movie. Mm -hmm. That's actually my second favorite song on the album. Is it? <laughs> <far from> over. <laughs> yeah. It's, it absolutely works like with the Satan's alley thing. It's yeah. perfect. Yeah. Yeah. But, and the weird thing is that Joe Esposito song, The Winning End, that did get cut off of the actual soundtrack, which I think it could have re easily replaced one of those uh, other Bee Gees songs. Absolutely. Right. I was reading in preparing for this that there, uh, Travolta and the Bee Gees had some kind of falling out. I and, was, yeah, I was right. And I'm too. so curious what that's like. I could understand if Stallone and the Bee Gees had a falling out and that change, mm -hmm. what songs are used and how many of them. But who, who cares if Travolta right. had a fight with the Bee Gees? Like, who cares if the star doesn't approve? It's not up to them. So I, I'm really yeah. curious what the story of all of that was. Maybe that's just some, you know, IMDb bit of mistrivia. I don't yeah. know, but it was I read, interesting. I read the same thing. And, and it was interesting as I was reading, like, the Wikipedia entries and all the stuff about it, how it seemed like Travolta was really calling a lot of the shots for this movie. Yeah. Like he, he really pushed to get Stallone hired and he pushed. So I wonder if maybe, maybe they, I don't know. I, this is complete conjecture, but maybe he was, they, they didn't like that. He was taking control of, of somebody else's movie. And maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I'm maybe. That because if, for them to have a falling out specifically is very, you mm -hmm. know, brings up a lot of questions, but yeah, the soundtrack is, is it's good. It's not something I would listen to on a regular basis, but I, I enjoy it just fine. And it was successful. Um, the, the funny thing about this movie, I always assumed, and it's always kind of shown that this movie is was like this enormous flop, um, mm. but it wasn't. It was one of the highest grossing movies of the year. And I didn't I realize that either until uh, getting prepared for this. Yeah. I always assumed it was too, but mm. there's a big difference between a critical flop and a, and a financial one. And it did, it made lots of money. 
good mm-hmm. good for everybody i guess yeah i mean i mean to the point of where there was going to be like another movie i think in the works and like, i can't even imagine like thank god that never happened <laughs> they said it just made one every decade like a 90s that's true one. yes so let's let's talk let's get into the movie a little bit so i'd like to hear if, if do you guys have any like general thoughts about watching it Let, let's start with mbase because i know this was your this was your first time watching it uh, yeah, so it's my first time watching it all the way through. I have heard about the movie <laughs> through uh, a bunch of podcasts, like How Did This Get Made? And it's usually, they make fun of that film. And <laughs> it's like, it, from the sounds of it, I thought, man, I'm not going to like this film very much. And I was actually surprised when my mom said, hey, I really like Staying Alive. <laughs> and the funny thing is, I did watch it with her last weekend and she did kind of agree with me that she <laughs> did kind of realize it wasn't as good as she thought it was, but I watched it and realized it wasn't as bad as I mm. thought it was going to be. Now it did drag yeah. significantly throughout most of the film, but it kind of, uh, it gets a lot better towards the end. I think when they actually start doing all the dancing in the Satan's alley mm-hmm. stuff, <laughs> How about, how about you, John? Because I know, so so when we were setting this up, it was kind of interesting that, you know, Bagford was very much, oh, this movie sucks. I, it's going to be awful. And then then John was like, I actually really like this movie. So <laughs> it's kind of interesting contrast. Are you still of that mind or, or have, you, have you? Yes. Okay. I mean, I like this movie in the entertainingly terrible category. Mm. I love Xanadu and oh, this is no Xanadu, but it is just as it's just wonderfully bad having watched it twice <laughs> to get to get ready to talk with you yeah it's terrible but it's yeah. and it's uh, you know endearingly <laughs> terrible yeah and uh the thing that i mean I, maybe we'll get to this I, the sexual the sexual politics of this movie <laughs> make my head spin because yeah. i can't tell if Sliced alone was smart en- is smart enough as a director to say something that we're supposed to come away with or or what he's trying to say exactly with the nature of the dynamic of these sexual of the sexual politics going on in here. It well, uh, there's a message, but I can't tell if Sylvester Stallone is smart enough to put across that message or if we intuit the message. I can't tell. I kind of took it in that like again, coming off the heels of Saturday Night Fever. I think it was maybe like inherent in the Tony Monero character, because if you like, he was also a complete bastard in Saturday Night Fever and he treated yeah. him like, yeah. like complete shit. And um, I mean, like there was a rape scene. He committed an act of rape in the first movie. And so, I mean, when in this movie, he hasn't really, yes, he's grown six years. He really hasn't grown emotionally at all. He hasn't grown, grown mentally. I, I don't know that, slide deliberately put a message in there i feel like it was just kind of left over from the first movie that was just kind of inherent in the character in that um but the but the message is murky anyway because we still have we still are are meant to like empathize with this person and we're still right you know root for him which is he makes it very difficult for us to do that (laughs) there were at least three different scenes where Jackie, Cynthia Rhodes, Mm -hmm. who is a saint, by the way, beautiful, patient, loves him for no good reason, comes off stage or runs toward him and they kiss and they hug and it's, oh, it's so good. You were fantastic up there. 
I'll meet you tonight. She walks away and Finola Hughes's character comes up and then he immediately makes plans with her instead. And there were this, this happened literally three or four different times. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, well, I could understand there being a break in between, like for instance, um, after John, after Tony and Finola Hughes hook up the first time and she kicks him out of bed, which he's only ever done that to women. It's new to him to experience that. He leaves and it's raining <laughs> and he calls Cynthia Rhodes in the rain in the middle of the night, wakes her up. And he asks even if she's alone and she says yes, but he doesn't invite himself over. He said, I'm just yeah. calling to see, make sure you're okay in a really jokey way. He's super happy because he just boned the girl that he's into that, you know, <laughs> so he calls the girl that he's boning on the side to tell him yeah. how it just makes no sense. So I, I, I figure, I thought that he was boning Finola Hughes, who's Laura. I, I thought she was the, the one on the side. And then Jackie was like the steady girlfriend, Cynthia Rhodes, Jackie. I'm, it's, well, it's yes. hard to figure out. I mean, that's how I took it. But I mean, yeah. this is a uh, this is a prime MFK scenario where Cynthia Rhodes is the M and Finola Hughes is the F. And uh, there's this one scene and I was wondering if what you guys thought of this. So near the beginning of the movie, there's a scene that uh, of John Travolta and Cynthia Rhodes in silhouette having just like gotten up from having sex assumedly right he's yeah. sitting at the end of the bed getting ready to leave she kind of do you have to leave already yeah i gotta go everyone always has to go but they have nowhere to go they just always have to leave i can't stay i can't stay for the party i gotta go where are you going really anyway so there's this scene it almost feels like it was shot after the fact bolted on there of the two of them in silhouette post coitus him leaving and i thought if you had left out that scene and we didn't know that these two hooked up whenever they wanted, I wonder if that would change our feelings about Cynthia Rhodes' pining for him throughout the movie. Because, oh, yeah. you know what I mean? Because yeah. you're presenting it like they're fuck buddies, basically, right. you know, right. friends with benefits. But if you take that out and you and it's two people who have chemistry, supposedly, movie chemistry <laughs> who aren't coming together maybe you feel more inve- even more invested and less confused by what where this is all going ultimately you know does that yeah, make sense yeah I, i'm trying to wrap my head around that's a really good point it, it changes the dynamic of the if you don't know that characters. john travolta and cynthia rhodes hook up whenever they want and have sex with each other mm-hmm. then they're just two people who will they or won't they and you're rooting right. for them Right. But when you know that they hook up whenever they want and you know that he hooks up with Finola Hughes, then everyone's just that the politics are kind of a free for all at right. that point. And it kind of makes Tony, Tony Monero seem like an even bigger dirtbag, honestly. Big time. Big time. Yes, that's it. <laughs> just kind of, you know, banging whoever he wants to whenever he wants to because he can. And that's what he always has done. So oh, why man. stop now? I know if we were all that lucky. Right. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Josh is like, I don't know about you. I have a great sex life. Oh, yeah. Yourself. <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, yeah. 
I, I did it. I, I kind of want to back to just a second because I use I just want to um, set the stage for listeners who sure. may not have right. seen this movie. Um, yes. And that, you know, like we already said, it, it's uh, focusing on Tony Monero six years after the, uh, the events of Saturday Night Fever, but six years after Saturday Night Fever takes place. He's living in New York City. He's trying to become a big Broadway star, um, Broadway dancer. It's not really working out for him. He works in a restaurant and um, just pretty much as a professional auditioner. Mm-hmm. and um you know sleeping with multiple people at one time yeah that's it <laughs> there's the plot that's it <laughs> pretty much you know i have actually i have to be honest with you staying alive in a way almost has more of a plot than saturday night fever does mm-hmm. um saturday in night fever ways. is a little bit more like an episodic character study and this is Good more point. this is more like um this happens and then mm-hmm. you know leading to that i don't know just an observation it's but. very true so, Josh, I hope this is not too pointed of a question to ask you, but okay. <laughs> how great did Travolta look in this movie? Oh, he was he was he was Jack. He yes. was really like the best he's ever looked. Yes. In any movie. Yes. And apparently like he worked like he he did that in what, like 18. Was it 18 months or 18 weeks? Like it was some ridiculous amount of time that he just was like like 12 hours a day. Just, yeah. You know, in the gym working out. Yeah. He, uh, the Finola Hughes character, there were enough jump cuts that made me think that she could dance, but maybe not as great as we're led to believe. Whereas Cynthia Rhodes and John Travolta, I felt like literally could dance as well as their characters are meant to dance. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, He looked fantastic Mm -hmm. in this movie. Um, You know, even without the loincloth, I thought he was pretty... (laughs) (laughs) I, I even think that he his dancing was markedly improved in this movie than it Big was time. in Saturday Night Fever. Because yeah. I'm um, we, it, my co-host from from that podcast, we spent a little bit of time talking about whether John Travolta kind of is technically a good dancer, or if he has if he if he just kind of relies on his energy and enthusiasm, you know, to to kind of mm-hmm. make it look like he's a better dancer than he actually might be. But but he was really in this one. I thought he was a little bit more technically yeah. efficient than he was in the first one. Maybe that was the choreography agreed with him or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I felt like he held his own from a dance perspective mm-hmm. for sure. It could also be editing. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> there was, yes. There's a lot of That's editing done in the dance dance numbers in this movie. So very true. I, it's Cynthia Rhodes. Like, we, I want to talk about her for a second because we we mentioned her a few times, and she was like a perennial '80s musical like she was everywhere in the 80s mm-hmm. dirty dancing and um she was in xanadu right Am I... no she was in flash dance That's i think she was, was in xanadu but i think she was like a dancer in the background but she was okay. in flash dance yes yes that's right yeah. and um i really like her i think she's i do too she's fantastic yeah. Maybe she like... was so cute and so sweet in this movie undyingly which makes no sense she has this great speech <laughs> near the end where she is just pleading, which I love you so much and you mistreat me all the time. Don't you understand that? Just the the purity of that little speech she gives yeah. with the tears in her eyes. She's so beautiful. She's the former Miss Mrs. Miss Richard Marks. I think you guys maybe oh, know right. that. I don't know. Yeah. Yep. So he they were married for like 25 years, probably met within a couple of years of this movie. And then he they got divorced and he married Daisy Fuentes. Mm. Um and she took over as one of the lead singers of Animotion. 
you remember Animotion Obsession, that song Obsession? Okay. Yes, yes. So yes. That's, eventually that's the record back. I had to yes. call that one. Yeah. Okay. So eventually the record label decides let's kick out our two lead singers, the male and the female, and bring in two other lead singers and keep the name Animotion. And Cynthia huh. Rhodes was one of those, was the female lead wow. singer. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think she was my favorite part of this whole movie absolutely sweetheart uh, Frank I, I, yeah. had one of the best lines in the film too i thought who, like, thought he, who, that? who did frank stallone because uh there's one scene where uh, uh john travolta and uh cynthia rhodes meet up at like a dance uh, dance studio and she brings uh frank stallone and he's kind of jealous and he's saying well she'll be in good hands with me and frank stallone's like Oh, you think you're Allstate Insurance or something? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's Allstate? right. I forgot. Yeah, and your that. disability. That was something. <laughs> that was something I was going to bring up. The humor in this movie, quote unquote humor, yeah. is so lunkheaded to me, <laughs> and it's. I couldn't. And this is knowing that Sylvester Stallone wrote this. Explains a lot. Yes, because when you watch the when you watch the the Rocky movies, his attempt at humor in those movies, it's uh, I mean, equally unfortunate. Yes, equally as unfortunate. (laughs) And so I couldn't tell if if Sly wrote all these lines and Travolta for Travolta to speak or if they were ad libs and Travolta and Stallone are just so on the same page. There's this in Rocky Four. There's that scene where he's out washing his car and the robot is there and Apollo calls and he runs in the house to get it, but he realizes he can answer the phone on the robot. So he's on the robot and the robot is turning around and he's walking around in a circle because he's on the phone and Apollo says, what are you doing? He says, what am I doing? Getting dizzy. Like, it's really funny that he's walking in a circle. Just stupid lunk-headed right. humor. <laughs> But that is Sly's calling card, and that was all over this movie. All it over really it. was. I'd love to see the script, just to you know. Yes. Because apparently, the originally it was going to end had a darker ending, from what I yeah. read. And Travolta fought against that. He wanted you know a big triumphant ending for Tony. <laughs> yeah. Maybe slightly have... self indulgent, but. I, I yeah there when. When John Travolta and Fanola Hughes are in bed and he's kind of he's trying to kind of tell her he likes her, but his words he uses, I just I think you're significant. <laughs> and I think who says significant? <laughs> like is that supposed to be romantic? I don't get it. And uh when he he and he when he's talking to her the after the after he first meets meets her and he says, Um, I take it you're from the vicinity of England. <laughs> trying to sound smart. Yeah, is that what <laughs> Just say it, man. Right. You know, just say, or he, when he's trying to pick her up and he's like, hey, Rico. And, uh, you know, he's pretending like they're, the guy of her dreams is right there, but it's really him. And none of it lands. None of it's funny. It's charming in a, you know, meathead kind of idiot way. But it's that's why I just would love to know, did Sly write all that garbage or does John Travolta think that way and think it's funny? I, I don't would know. Say, I would say the former. Okay. It it seems like yeah, I don't know. I can't see Travolta ad living something like that, especially with, with Sly's track record. But I mean you never know, but I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't I don't play. know. I yeah, I can't imagine 
how would this movie have ended darker? I wonder. It That's a good question. Specifically, say in in the notes that I wrote, but um, yeah, where do you go? A, so you or something? Or? I don't know. You you do well in the Satan's Alley performance, but then what? Like I don't know where you go from. What ending oh, would have not... been tacked on there that was dark? Somebody dies. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. My my theory is that it was it was. I think a lot of it was sly. Okay. Yeah. It, this was a right. little bit of a sly yeah. Stallone. Weirdly, it was kind of a sly Stallone vanity project. It felt like because he had to shoehorn himself in there within the, with the Hitchcockian cameo. <laughs> right. Right. Um, he did most of the kind press of a fun for this thing. What's that? He did most of the press for this, like a lot of the TV interviews. Yeah. Like I watched one particularly interesting appearance on the Joan Rivers show where he was talking about this movie and, and then Travolta. Um, he was expecting Travolta to show up and he, they were in the middle of the interview and he popped in and um, he seemed both at, at, at both um, pleasantly surprised and annoyed that he was stealing his thunder. Mm. Yeah, because <laughs> he I was getting see that. Yeah, because because Travolta was getting a huge applause, and uh, uh, you know, yeah, it's Travolta, and yeah, he was you know a good sport about it, but you could see he, it irked him a little bit. Did you notice when they bumped into each other in the movie, they both had the same hair? Yeah, they both yes. had the same hairstyle, kind yes. of parted down the middle, feathered. You know, um, I'm, I'm sure Sly was trying to to be Travolta, probably, and I, I think he yeah. Yeah, probably in a lot of ways. <laughs> and Robert Stigwood too. He was he was a producer. Um, oh, that was okay. That was an interesting thing about this movie, especially compared to Saturday Night Fever. Saturday Night Fever is surprisingly it's it's kind of the marketing of that movie is a little misleading. It's not quite as flashy and fun as it's mm-hmm. oftentimes made out to be. Mm-hmm. It's actually incredibly raw and and yeah, uh, very crass in a lot of ways. Um, and this, I, I wonder if part of the reason that they held back a little bit is because I think they deliberately tried to make a PG movie to have a wider audience because it was. I wondered that too. Yeah. Smash. If they can avoid the darkness, the dark side of Saturday Night Fever. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's the difference too. Like I was kind of saying earlier, I mean, Saturday Night Fever, small budget, small expectations. It was an art piece. I mean, it was a director yeah. really trying to say something. This is in every possible way a product. This is something that they made to sell you something and make you money, whether Mm -hmm. make themselves money, whether it's the movie, the soundtrack, the fashion, whatever. If this is absolutely a product, not a piece of art Mm -hmm. in every way. I mean, I was I was entertained by it, but at the same time, I was also very. I was frustrated by it at times. I was bored by it at times. I was confused by it most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then at the end, during the during the, the final um, grand finale of Satan's Alley, I was um, I was actually kind of riveted. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that's good because the Satan's Alley takes like the last twenty minutes of the movie. It yeah. goes on forever. So one of the things uh, going back to this sexual dynamic that I'm trying to get a feel for. Like who are who we're rooting for exactly? Who do we want him to end up with when he goes and tries out for Satan's Alley, and it's his turn to go up to dance? He, Finola Hughes is up in the balcony and he waves to Finola Hughes. Okay, and then right before he's supposed to dance, he leans over. Jackie is off on off stage and he leans over and he says, "Hey, I just got to tell you, you got great legs." And and it's 
meanwhile, first of all, first, if you're trying to impress a director who wants to hire you to dance, you're not going to do either of those things. You're going right. to shut up and follow his direction. Yeah. You're not going to cause trouble. But just that's what I mean about this like assembly line or this rotating mm -hmm. door mentality of yeah. these two women just constantly going around and around in yeah. the same scene. Mm -hmm. and, you know, he waves to the one and then he tells the other he's she's got great legs. Neither of those things is necessary. You could have <laughs> just focused on this being Tony's story about being a yeah. becoming a better man, a better dancer. Right. But it's not. It's got to have all this other right. weird stuff to the point of where they both actually dump him in the same night. Yes. <laughs> like he gets dumped twice within like a half an hour of each other. Yes. I, uh, so it, I, and again, I can't tell if Sly is smart enough that he's telling you something by all of this or like his humor, if he thinks this is entertaining or interesting or funny, or it's maybe it's yeah. the sexual mores of the day that the one woman miss, you know, treats the guy like the guy would have treated her. But that guy also, who's supposedly our protagonist, mistreats the really sweet, the sweetheart right. who's supposed to support him. I really don't know what I it's would saying. chalk it up to that, because, I mean, if you think of the way Saturday Night Fever ends, it ends with him going back to Stephanie's house and he like raped her two scenes ago. And then she just lets yeah. him in his house like nothing happened. It's like, uh, mm, yeah, in what, in what universe would this happen? I mean, I guess yeah. the 70s, but I guess I kind of get the same vibe from this movie. Like, I, I, I don't know, I, as much as I want to give Sly credit for, for having, for being subliminal about messages, uh -huh. I, I don't know that, I have a hard time saying that it's there. <laughs> I don't either. I know. The yeah. other thing I think is really interesting, too, is that he's very adamant all along that he wants no freebies or anyone doing anything for him. And yet he gets a job in this, he's, you know, waiting in the, the lobby of his Fleabag Motel for a call saying that he got the job, which you know he only got because he hooked up with Vanilla Hughes. So it goes, it defies the rules that we've been led to believe that Tony Monero has this, you know, such high ideals that he wants to make it on his own. He doesn't want to leg up and he doesn't want any help or anything. He's going to do it on his own. But ultimately he got the job because he shook the star of the show. I mean, I, that's what I think happened. Right. I completely agree. He doesn't. He doesn't really seem to make any, you know, any bones no. about it. And just like, yep, no. that's what I did. For yeah. somebody who always prided himself on his talent, that sort no. of the, the huge step backwards for him. Now he does seem to earn his way to being the star of the show, the male lead. Yeah. But as far as getting that job, it's because of Finola Hughes. It's not. Mm -hmm. That's what I think anyway. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, you can tell that he's taking advantage of her from the start. Um, I did want to ask you guys about the return of the white suit. I thought it was really odd that he just, it didn't fit him the same. It didn't seem to <laughs> feel the same. This is an issue I had with just about the whole movie. He doesn't, <laughs> in the first movie, that strut, which is the perfect ending of this movie, honestly, yeah, um, <laughs> is feels so natural. That's opening scene of Saturday Night Fever of him walking down the street with the paint can you yep. feel the the sexuality and the the vibe of it all oozes off of him. Yeah. Whereas in this movie, it feels like he's walking with wearing pants that are so tight <laughs> that he can't. 
quite move very well. He's so stiff. He like going back. He feels like a guy who's pretending to be that other character, not the right. like lived he's, in. He's character. bulging, and his upper body's bulging now after working out so much. Yes. He didn't have didn't have all that. Yes. <laughs> he wasn't that ripped in the first movie. No. Yes, it's all ripped. Tiny little waist. Yeah. And he's just constantly walking really awkwardly. And so when he pulls out the white suit. And when he's in his room, it's the white suit with the black shirt. But then it doesn't, he, doesn't, he ditches the black shirt for this Don Johnson sky blue <laughs> V-neck thing. Which is all the and rage the in 1983. Up. What's that? Which is all the rage in 1983. Totally, totally. He yeah. looks very 1983. And the collar is up, but it just doesn't feel like the hearkening back to the iconic no, suit that yeah. it should have been. No, it's a little more... I, yeah, he think he's just trying to keep with the times and stuff and, and, you know, put on that white suit for old time's sake, but it doesn't, it doesn't fit him anymore. It doesn't suit no. him. It doesn't suit the vibe of the movie. It doesn't suit even the vibe of his character now. No. It, it really didn't. I don't know. I, it was kind of like his, um his uniform for the first yeah. one, but he's definitely outgrown it both physically and hmm. kind of mentally too. I think it's much. just, yeah. they're like trying to kind of connect saturday night fever with that so that's why they have the white suit and yeah that's why they have bgs do half the soundtrack and right. those elements just don't seem to work right like, if you try to go back to saturday night fever that's like when it kind of falls flat on its face for me mm -hmm. they probably figure well we're not going to include any of the characters with one exception from the first one so we've got to find other ways to make it seem like saturday night fever i was going to ask you about that because when i read it I think the intention originally was to bring back a lot of the characters, but then it, they mm -hmm. fell through or it didn't work out. And I just think, why wouldn't it work out? I know. What did what did Donna Pesco have better to do? I mean, I know she had a sitcom. I remember her sitcom around oh. those days, but yeah. Um, but like, what did she have better to do than come back and be in Staying Alive? And here's Only the, the kicker. mom could come back, right? And here's the kicker: Donna Pesco actually filmed a scene first for Staying Alive that was excise from the movie that's right so it's like I they think were she really goes to, she goes to performance or something like that right yeah yep yeah so they were like aggressively trying to not have people from saturday which is yeah i think was a fatal mistake in this totally. i think the totally. movie would have been way more compelling and interesting if yeah. he had had more than just his mom in it like bring back his brother bring back some of the gang members you know i mean i know i would have loved to know what his brother was doing after he stopped being a priest you know, like, True. that would have been True. really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Know. There's that speech when he's sort of weakly um, apologizing to Jackie finally, and they're by the water. And he <laughs> says, you know, this is just how I grew up. This is all, you know, taking people for granted and mistreating them is part of how I grew up. I had bad manners and I, or I was shown bad manners and I, I thought that's it's not an we excuse need to see here. more of that I guess right. I don't want to just recall that six years ago I saw a movie where you were around some right. bad manners I want to see that so that I can tie the two together by the right. way one of the thought I had this movie is one of those movies where cell phones would have uh made this almost this entire movie unnecessary because all every oh, yeah. the crux of so much drama <laughs> is about people meeting someone at a uh -huh. certain time. You know, when do you get done? Two a.m. Okay, I'll meet you here, and then they don't <laughs> they don't show up. Or when right. are you done? I'll be I'll see there see you at three, and they don't show up. Uh, the 
all of it would have just been, you know, handled with a text. It's like, and, it's like mixed missed connections on eBay. Yes. Remember that? <laughs> it's like the movie. <laughs> yes, that's it. Yeah. Oh, my God. I was going to say something about the mom and her appearance in this movie. And um, it kind of what you guys thought about it, because I like, you know, like we talked about, she was the only character from, you know, who's recycled aside from Tony, obviously recycled from the first film. And um, I kind of want to get your guys feelings for it, because those were the only scenes in the movie that really felt like they could have been in the original movie or that, or that felt kind of real. Mm-hmm. Or, or where, where Tony felt like he was not being a caricature of himself, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. I don't know if you guys feel similarly or if you guys um, have a different, you know, different that, insight to that. That probably could have helped the film out a lot more if they did have more scenes like that, because it kind of mm-hmm. explains a little bit why Tony's acting that way a bit. Yeah. That he's just kind of grown up in the family where that's kind of like the norm. Right. For people that live in that family, maybe that's why his brother decided to become a priest to kind of get away from all that. Yeah, or try to change a bit. Yeah, I, um, you know, there's the mom really only has three scenes. One is after he gets the job, he calls her to tell her, which feels a little gratuitous because that's how we're introduced to her. So yeah. it's like, oh, we, uh, it's a quick and easy like callback. Remember my mom? Remember that I'm a, an existing character? Here she is. <laughs> and then yeah. they do have the one kind of meaningful scene back at the, his house where he seems to be kind of wrestling with his, you know, how he's treating people and where he has it, where he's at in his life. But yeah, for, for Gravitas sake, which again, if it isn't wrapped up in a physical sport montage, Gravitas is not Sly's strong suit as a director it uh it could have used a couple more conversations like that that felt like real people talking about real things as opposed to john travolta pinballing between these two yeah just to keep it grounded a little bit Mm -hmm. and to give it some kind of emotional heft i mentioned the pinballing between the women something else Mm -hmm. that frustrates me about this is that we seem to be pinball he pinballs back and forth as a character as well for instance once he finally convinces Jackie, uh, I, you know, I've, I assume he never quite comes out and says it really like you want him to, but you assume he's learned the error of his ways and he's ready to settle down and really treat her right and all this kind of stuff. And then, um, but then he feels like he has to kiss Finola Hughes in the dance in, yeah. the, in the major performance. Like during Almost the like, show. Yeah, just to like... <laughs> show male dominance in a way i guess yeah. i don't know what else it could have been like and again you could have said all this with dancing i mean he, right. him dancing so well that he becomes a star or you know the focus of the show could have been enough but he had to like i have Stop. to show sexual dominance by kissing yeah. this woman on stage one more time and then he goes back to the dressing room and Cynthia Rhodes who's just in t- eternally patient with this man mm. did you have to kiss her yeah it's like hey don't it didn't mean nothing don't worry about that so and then like once he does fight for the and going from a dancing perspective once he does fight for the role as the lead and he gets it then he storms out of the room when Finola Hughes I don't know doesn't seem happy and the director's got to give him some speech about you know i hired you for your anger and all this it's like the guy can't ever just go down the right road he's got a stump he's always got to be one step up and then two steps back or sideways right 
it, it keeps you off guard. There's no, yeah. and I, and again, going back, I don't know what, I don't know why Sly puts these little things, these curveballs in the movie. What are we supposed to learn from this? You know, yeah. if anything. Yeah, that's so fascinating that you, uh, the whole thing about the sexual dominance, because that's actually so true to, to the, the history of his character. Um, again, I'm going to draw from the first movie. I didn't think I'd be drawing from it this much, but I'm starting to see more connections now because in the first movie, they have that dance contest. He and Stephanie win it. He rapes her mm. like right after the right after the contest. Why? Mm. You know, there's there's no explanation, nothing. And the same thing here. He has this big performance. He puts on this this amazing show with with Laura. And then he ends it all by, you know, just kind of planting a kiss on her. Mm-hmm. you know apropos of nothing really yeah it's like it's a yeah. very weird history and they, I you think you, you make a good point about the sexual dominance being a thing I don't uh-huh. know but, and herein lies the confusion is it a cultural thing is it a a uh, a time period thing is it a that's, is it a John Travolta thing and I, I don't, don't that's <laughs> what I'm saying I don't know I don't know what yeah. we're supposed to learn from the back and forth and uh mm-hmm. Because you want to, at the end of a movie, you want to believe that someone has truly come to terms or been redeemed or changed right. as a human being. And, but he's every step of the way, he says he's changing. And then he does something stupid that goes backwards or sideways. Yeah. To prove and then that takes he didn't another change. <laughs> no. And so you just, it's just confusing to me. Um, yeah. I mean, right. he, can, he can talk the talk as much as he wants to. He sure. can say he's changed, but. I mean, oh. when, you know, actions speak louder than words. Go yes. ahead. Well, I wanted to, uh, <laughs> one of the big questions I had is who in the world thought up Satan's Alley? Yes. Do we think. <laughs> Some <do> genius. We... <laughs> Cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Again. Oh my I... God. Okay. Here's my question. Yes. Would either of you. If you knew that Satan's Alley was coming to like your local theater, would you pay money to go and see a performance of it? Fuck yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would now for, because it ties back to this goofy movie that I have a soft spot for. Yeah. But uh, I don't, again, it's very eighties, but that's what, (laughs) that's one of those things I'm trying to figure out. Do you think when Sylvester Stallone sat, sat down and wrote the script, he concocted a big musical called Satan's Alley because it kind of sounds like he something he would have thought of. Totally sounds or like a Stallone thing. Did he, co- you know, collude with other choreographers? And what do you guys think we should do? What's going to really, along the whole way of this movie, like they do, like, you know, when comedians get together, they they try to beat the other person's punchline. Mm-hmm. Like they'll tell a joke and and someone will tell the punchline and then they'll think, what, what's the, what's even funnier than that? Yeah. What's better than that? And they try to outdo each other. This is one of those movies where I thought someone in the room should have came up and said, okay, that's a great one, but you know, it'd be even better as if we did this right. or if we went there or we did that, you could have had so many conversations, but I just wonder whose brain came up with state Satan's, Satan's alley. alley. And why was it not vetoed? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> and you know, it's about a guy, you know, descent into hell and ascent right. into heaven at the end and all this kind of it's such an 80s thing it's but it, so, it it reminded me a little bit of like 
cats in some ways like the way they the, the, the way they dress and the the the, the slinky <laughs> dance moves and just yes. all over the top um yeah i don't I know, don't know. it's I kind of think... brilliant it, it in its own like much of sylvester stallone's 80s work it is kind of oddly brilliant in a right. weird kind of way yeah right right <laughs> I could I see him see say that. coming up with the idea of Satan's Alley and then hiring a bunch of choreographers. Guys, go make me something called Satan's Alley and make it. Good. Yeah, right. You know, right. Mm-hmm. maybe he thought it was like provocative and cool. Maybe, you know, like we're talking about Satan here. Uh, who the, <laughs> the hell Very that? weird. It feels like an extended uh, solid gold dancers. Yes. You know, yes. Uh, montage, basically, which mm. was really hot back then. I mean, I. Yeah. I remember seeing Frank Stallone do Far From Over on Solid Gold like it was yesterday. And I was 10 years old. I remember yeah. it well. But uh, Or like a third-rate anyway. version of Bob Fosse. That's kind of what I was thinking. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay, Josh, I hope this is okay for me to ask. What is the gay community's feelings about John Travolta? You mean as far as like, where does he, is he, does he fall somewhere on the Kinsey scale sort of thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I love that you said the Kinsey scale because I'm a, <laughs> I believe that's what it is. It's not a black or white thing. So I love that you said it like that. Okay. Um, yeah. I don't know. I guess from a personal like Gadar vibe, I would say, I don't know. He's pretty, I mean, you'd have to at least be, you know, low on the scale to wear some of the things he wears in this, in this uh-huh. movie uh-huh. And, and be hundred percent comfortable with it. Um, right. And then also too, if you think of like in Hairspray, you know, like he dressed up as a woman for the, for the entire True. movie. Um so I'm sure he's he's you know he's probably hovering somewhere low. Okay. But I don't I know just, that he was ever hit, really had like a significant gay following. Okay. That's that because there's always been rumors yeah. and um supposedly that's that was his attraction to Scientology was he thought it might be able to cure him from this. But my oh, the point the reason I the, one of the main reasons I was asking is because this seems like the kind of movie that could have an entirely huge second life Mm-hmm. in like drag circles or i don't know queer underground cinema or you know parties Could. or whatever you know what i'm saying like let's yeah, dress I think, up as saint Achilles... for things for halloween or something like yeah. that. yeah i think it's achilles heel is just the the almost almost absurdly aggressive machismo of the whole thing mm, okay and, you know like how it's how he's how he has to make it such a point to like assert his masculinity every single time and i, yes. that, I think that could be a little bit off-putting Okay. Um, and that might be what's holding it back from really achieving that kind of big cult stat. Even even outside of the queer community, but just in general, I think that that turns people off because I think this does have all the makings of a, of a cult classic, but it's not quite there. And I think that might be a okay. big part of it because his character is so it's his character is very confusing and very very um, you know very macho in a in a way okay. that's not very welcoming. Um, yeah, that's okay. interesting about Travolta with the I, I'd forgotten about that with the Scientology. That, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just wondered if this is one of those movies that has a ton of homoerotic subtext that. Uh, yeah, I don't get only... too much of that simply because okay. of simply because of the, the two main, um, you know, hands that were in the kettle between Sly okay. and and Travolta. OK. Yeah. I, I don't know. That's it's just kind of how I read it. But okay. just curious. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it feels very much like a Sylvester Stallone film. I don't like we've been saying this whole episode. It's like, when the hell is Sly trying to get at? So, <laughs> okay, uh, I, I mean, unless the, the movie could be called like "Staying Alive" and then in parentheses underneath, 
in all caps, I'm not gay. (laughs) (laughs) Exclamation point. Right. Right. (laughs) No, I just wondered if this was one of those movies that had kind of that second life, you know, if, it, it, as opposed to something like Xanadu, which does very much, mm-hmm. and even some like Can't Stop the Music kind of yeah. does too. I love um, that movie too, by the yeah, way. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't really see that. And also, to Saturday Night Fever is also a very masculine, testosterone-driven movie. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So I, yeah, that might be what what's holding it back from that. Okay, just curious. Yeah, no, interesting question. That's it's a lot. Um, so there. not to bogart your show here but i'm curious yeah the end bags on a scale of one to ten what do you give uh staying alive uh i'd, <laughs> I'd probably give it like a five out of wow. ten because i mean it it did hold my interest to have it it had a really good soundtrack however just the just the main plot it's kind of it's just very it's just very confusing and chauvinistic it's like i don't give a yeah. crap about Tony's character. I don't really want him to succeed that much. The only yeah. thing that really saved this is the the dance scenes and the soundtrack for me, pretty much. Cynthia Rhodes' performance. I'm probably looking at like, a, I would give it maybe like a 3.5 to 4. Oh. 4 out much? of 10? Yeah, okay. 4 at the highest. Probably I'm hovering more okay. at like a 3, a 3.5-ish. Hopefully okay. that's not too harsh. Um, is it entertainingly bad? I guess is my question. Parts of it are. Part okay. there are parts such as Satan's Alley, um, the opening credit sequence. Um, mm-hmm. There are parts of it that are entertainingly bad. And there are parts of it that are just bad, bad. Okay. Yeah. It's it's kind of it's fifty fifty, for me. And then I'm at like six that are and genuinely a half. good. Okay. What's that? And then there are there are a handful of scenes that are genuinely good. Yeah, I I'm at like a six and a half. That's on the good. scale of one to ten, but that's, I mean, quality of movie is like a two, but <laughs> entertainment factor is like an eight. So you know, yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, I just find it. I just don't mind it. It's uh, mm-hmm. fun and entertaining. Yeah, you know, I didn't mention at the beginning that this was, um, I think, the fourth time that I've tried watching it. So I, there, I, think, I think three times in the past I've tried watching it. I've gotten through maybe ten minutes of it, mm. and. And I just was like, I, I know this isn't, this isn't working for me. So I, I had to, I forced myself for this to sit and watch. I'm like, I, I'm doing that. I have, I don't have a choice. Uh-huh. I, I had a big glass of wine that kind of got me, <laughs> helped me get going. And once I got through that, like that first 15 minute hump, I was kind of good to go for the rest of it. I could, I could lock into to what was happening. Yeah. Um, whereas before I was just not prepared. <laughs> I watched it on Friday and Saturday night. And I think I'd seen it in its entirety, maybe twice before that. So Friday, I watched the whole thing. And then Saturday night, I just, I fast forwarded through all the musical parts and the movie was over in like half the time. I'm sure. But um, I've always wondered about the, the, um, the PG version of Saturday Night Fever. Like how did they get it to be PG and still be like a feature length movie? I know. I've wondered that too. So much of it is just like awful. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Um, I did want to ask one other question too about the actual literal ending of the movie. I know what I want to do. I know what I want to do. First of all, okay, again, going back to just his, me not understanding his motivations for pretty much anything. He can't stay for the party. He just became a star. He just had this breakthrough performance on Broadway. The whole place is going crazy, but he's got to storm out. 
And it's always, I gotta go. I gotta go. I can't stay. I gotta go. And, and, you know, Jackie, as always, why, why won't you stay? I gotta go. I gotta go. I'll see you later. But you know what? I know what I want to do. I know what I want to do. Strut. <laughs> and he goes and, and then it's, and then Sane Alive starts. Yep. Yes. The song. And that is the first moment of the entire movie where I feel like he is embodying that initial Tony Monero character. Maybe it's the movie, maybe it's the walk, whatever it is. Finally, we get a glimpse of that guy. Right. And uh, that's a great ending of the movie, even though it doesn't make sense as to why it even exists. Yeah. The only, well, the reason it exists is for fan service. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> but um, I wonder if it maybe connects to that one scene he had that one kind of introspective, you know, there's always that one scene in every every movie where, you know, the protagonist is walking listlessly down the street thinking about, you know, what the meaning of life is for them. And yeah. where he walks by 2001 Odyssey and, you know, yes. and I wonder if maybe it's kind of, you know, that all over again. But this maybe. time he's like, I, yeah. I got it. I know. What yeah. I'm doing the purpose of it. life is for me to strut. Yeah. I figured that out. Yeah. You know, I don't need to socialize. I'm just going to no. walk down the street and. No. <laughs> and disappear star disappear like a ghost so the credits can start that's right <laughs> yeah anyway i just thought that's actually a great that's a great ending to a movie yeah that is uh a weird one yeah it, it is a really weird one i i'm sort of surprised that you guys are both uh, higher than five or higher on this one <laughs> i was totally prepared for i'm basically like two <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, I enjoyed it way more than I thought I was going to. That's good. Yeah. yeah, I can say that I, I, I did, but I also it was it was what I it was what I expected, um, but I didn't hate it. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's probably the best praise I could really okay. give it. I got to give one quick shout out to early on in the movie when he's the waiter at the dance club. <laughs> Joyce Heiser, the actress who yeah. has been on my show, mm-hmm. who was the lead in just one of the guys. One of my top 10 favorite 80s movies. She has this quick wow. little cameo, says one line. She was uh, Bruce Springsteen's girlfriend at that time. And oh, um, wow. yeah, she was also in Valley Girl, a couple other things. Anyway, it was great to see her. And we're Facebook yeah. friends. And when I Ooh. watched this movie for the first time, I don't know, five, six years ago, something like that, I messaged her on Facebook, said, I, I completely forgot you were in Staying Alive. And she responded. So that part's kind of funny. Did she respond by saying, so did I? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Or I try to forget. Uh, Yeah. Right. Right. Thanks for the reminder block. (laughs) (laughs) Right. 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 I would be remiss also speaking of cameos. If I didn't mention to people listening that um, John's background is currently Patrick Swayze Mm. who actually has a cameo in this movie. Very, very brief cameo. I read that. I didn't see it. Did you see it? I didn't. I, I, I tried to look for it, but I, I didn't I didn't catch it. I think it's like you blink, you miss it. Yes. Not even. Yes. I believe he's one of the dancers at the tryout, right? Yes. He might have been he one does. of the like in the blurry freeze frame. People, yes. One of I, those. I would assume. Yeah. I, I that credit sequence. I know I've mentioned it like three times. I just what a way to start a movie. I think that it's just it's like a frenetic, insane I love it. I, I love it's that grown the font is the bright neon. <laughs> yes. That's the best part, yeah. you know? It's like the it's marquee all, sign. 
Yes. Yeah. And then at the end, when it says, you know, Robert Stigwood, and you're like, well, yes, of course. Right. Robert right. Stigwood and this bright neon, those things go together. Yep. I, I, I kind of don't know what else to say. I mean, outside of, I mean, if you're morbidly curious, check it out. You're, I don't think you'll hate it. Know what you're getting into. Um, it's, it's, I just think it's fun. I th- it's yeah. one of those movies you could have your friends come over and, you know, laugh at the whole time or turn it into like a Rocky Horror experience of some there kind. There you go. It's, just, it's a good time. In Mindless costume. Time. Yes. Mm. yes that's what i mean see (laughs) i can see like rupaul's drag race the whole season based on satan's alley or something i could i could see what you're saying of rupaul satan's alley that yeah yeah and bakes do you have any final general thoughts on this experience you know what this film kind of felt like if you're familiar with uh canon films this Mm. kind of felt like a canon film quite a very much so because it feels like they have like m- m- enough money to cash on uh, Saturday Night Fever, so yeah. they're going to do the sequel. And it doesn't really make a whole lot of the sense, and there's a lot of Flash kind of realistic things. And yes, <laughs> yeah, it felt very much like a canon film to me. I think it's just because yeah. of watching a lot of canon films lately. Those movies I are fun that. too, and I'm totally with you on that fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I guess I guess that's a wrap. Any anything else you want? To, I know you did. You get through all your notes. John, I did. Or? Yes. Okay. Wow. I got. I had a bunch of just uh, bullet points of conversation bits. I wanted to make sure I worked in there. Yeah, I mean, so, it's yeah. not a particularly deep movie. You know, that's well. It no, it's not. But it does. Like I was saying, it mm. it poses. I think that's okay. I can't <laughs> tell if it is posing interesting provocative sexual politics questions or if it's just as misogynistic as it is and doesn't realize that it's doing it i can't figure it out i'm going the latter on that one yeah i think you're (laughs) i think you're right you you with me you with me on that bags yeah (laughs) yeah yeah as much as i would love to give sly stallone credit for being a you know forward thinking i doubt it somehow i I doubt it i kind of doubt it too Especially when that much money's involved, you're not going to be right. Like, hmm, how can I be have you know subversive <laughs> messages in my yes. in my film that it's going to gross millions of dollars and is a sequel to one of the biggest successes of all time? No, it's probably not. Oh, gonna I'm going to be a I'm going to be a deep thinking intellectual with this. Film. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That's just what it sounds oh, like. God. By the way, have you yeah. seen the documentary on Frank Stallone? Not yet. Um, it's on Tubi, which I have as part of my cable package. I think mm-hmm. you guys might too. Um, yeah, it's uh, he seems like a nice guy, and he, you know, try Sly gave him a couple op- opportunities to become a star, and it never quite worked out. But he's had a good career as a B movie actor, I guess, ever since. So, anyway, I just added that to my queue. I actually didn't even know about it. Yeah, I just watched it recently. It's fun. It's nothing special, but it's interesting. Stallone, Frank, that is. Okay. That's what it's called. <laughs> That's good. And I guess it came out this year, 2021. So oh, I guess okay. it's brand new. All right. I'm okay. kind of surprised they didn't call it, you guessed it, Frank Stallone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. Well, 
thank you guys for taking the time to do this. I know we had some crazy scheduling stuff. Thank you for guys for being flexible and patient through my um, technological challenges. It's, no problem, man. Let's um, do some promo. Um, and bags, where can we find you out in the social media world? Uh, I'm at Twitter at Michael Bagford. I'm also on Instagram at Bagford Michael. Uh, I do an album a day. Uh, just post random crap. Uh, <laughs> I'll post about podcast appearances. I might be coming up on a future rock solid. I don't know when we're going to record oh. it yet. I bet John will love the topic. A lot. What is it? Probably uh, bullshit. The Grateful Dead. Oh, I look forward to that. And um, John, how about you? How, where can we? Um, I know you have your the Hustle Pod. Yeah, the Hustle Pod, and then on Twitter, I'm at the Hustle Pod. Um, I'm more reactive, I would say, than proactive on Twitter, and a lot of it's politics. So mm. you might, if you follow me, you might just see my comments on other people's <laughs> stupid political posts. But uh, I'm more on top of Facebook. You can look up, you know, you can look up me if you want. You can look up the Hustle Podcast on there if you want. Um, so yeah, follow the show at um, anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, Twitter, it, my uh, personal Twitter handle is at Josh. F618. The um, show Twitter handle is at rockmoviespod. Send an email at movies at rockpodcasts at gmail.com and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And thank you guys so, so much for your time and for doing this. And this was a really fun, really fun time. I enjoyed it a lot. Anytime, man. Yep. Ditto. 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 Excellent. All right. I will be talking to you guys soon. Bye.